again, thankful we have this time. Um, and and as I mentioned about that uh, testimony service, I you know I meant it right. So uh, really, if you do ha- want to take an opportunity and some time to share about what the Lord has done, um, um, it really it, it would be great, right? It'd be a good thing to, for us to do together. So we really want to encourage you to do that. Um, you know, and also benefit. Don't have to hear me, right? So. It's always that's always a good good opportunity. Uh, before we jump in, I just uh, as Jabin was reading, right? I, you know, uh, in the theme of as we're going through these uh, Christ- uh, Christmas um, uh, portions that we've been that we've been focusing on. Uh, I don't know if you saw there in, in verse ten here, Matthew chapter two, verse ten. The uh, the wise men's response to seeing the star was what? In my translation, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So if you don't think you know joy is important to the season, that's a lot of joy, joyfulness and rejoicing there in, in verse ten. Amen. So um, yeah, if you're like us, you're you're really winding into the season right now, um, and you know you probably are working on what your plans are going to be for Christmas. Right? You might be hosting. You might be going somewhere. Right? You're coordinating, figuring out last minute gifts. You know. Um, Amazon, right? Making it work, making it, trying to make it happen. Um, part of that uh, surely is, I'm sure, depending on the school that your kids are going to, often they will do a um, like a winter program, a holiday program sometimes for the kids. Um, well, they'll come up and do something and the parents come and they watch. So kin- my daughter Kinsley, she started kindergarten and um, the, the kindergartners especially are doing a, a, a program and uh, that's coming up on I think it's either Monday or Tuesday. And for that, we had to make her a costume. And this costume was a gift box. So essentially, you know, I grabbed a Amazon box. You might have one or two of those lying around your house, right? Um, I grabbed one. Um, you leave the one part open, cut a hole in the sides for arms, a hole on the top for the head, wrap it in wrapping paper, put a bow on it, and then I put it on her, and there she was, just a little present, um, totally adorable, right? And there's a song that they're singing as part of this program where they will be, you'll see a bunch of little kindergartners as little presents. There's a song that they, that they sing, and I'm going to sing it for you, not to hurt you, but just so you, just, just so you know what it is, right? And... Um, you have to imagine her in the little box singing it, right? So it goes, good things come in little packages, little packages, yes siree. Good things come in little packages just like me, right? Okay? So it's as adorable as it sounds, right? It really is. And um, now, not only is that song now emblazoned in my consciousness to, for the rest of my living days, right? <laughs> but... Um, as I sat there and I looked at her and I thought about that and thought about how central to the season gifts are, right? They are really a center point of how we celebrate this season, this giving of gifts, this exchanging of gifts. And we see that where does that come from? Well, in this passage that we have here from Matthew chapter 2, which is often included as part of the overall Christmas narrative, even though most likely this occurred 
much after the account we have in Luke chapter 2 of Jesus' birth, potentially even upwards of maybe two years later. Um, regardless, right, it's part of the, the narrative around Christ's incarnation and his coming. And we see that the wise men bring what? They bring gifts uh, unto Christ. Now, we see the gifts. The gifts mean certain things. The gifts actually give an indication of who the wise men recognize Jesus as. So we're going to spend some time kind of digging into those gifts and thinking about that. But when you look at the passage, and you're, if you're looking for gifts, right, there's more gifts than just that, right? There's the gifts that the wise men bring. Then we know that Jesus himself is a gift, the gift of God. But another question for us to consider as we're going to go through these gifts that the wise men bring and consider what they mean about who Jesus is, is, is there another gift somewhere hidden in this passage? We'll consider that uh, as well. So the wise men, they come bearing gifts to Jesus, and these gifts recognized him as divine, as a king. Now, the backdrop for this story is... Um, very interesting, um, bit of drama behind it, right, um, if you think about it, and it kind of centers around this character of Herod, Herod the Great. Um, he is quite a character, right? You look into history and you sort of uh, think about him. Um, this was a self-absorbed psychopath, certified. Um, so he was friendly with Rome, and as he was ruling that area, he sort of brought a stability to that area of Judea, a stability to the economy, and built for himself this sort of little sort of empire in his early days, this king, Herod. As he grew older, though, he became um, very paranoid, very suspicious of his sons and his wives and his daughters, and that caused him to ultimately slaughter most of his family. He was so paranoid. And also, when you go further down in the narrative here in Matthew chapter 2, you see that he makes this decree that all these children, two years and under, should be put to death. Now, what, what of this, this part of the story, right? How, how does this make, make sense for us? Well, what we understand is Matthew is trying to make a connection back to the Old Testament and to Moses and to sort of show us that Jesus is greater than Moses. We've been spending a lot of time talking about this in our sermon series, right? The fact that Jesus is greater than Solomon, right? He's greater than the temple. Well, here the point is that, you know, Jesus is greater than Moses. What do we know of the story in Exodus? The Pharaoh at that time made a similar order. Hebrews are multiplying so quickly. He was afraid that they would revolt and take over. Herod was afraid of this same thing. He was afraid of losing power. He was afraid that this child would be born and become a king. He feared this earthly king that might come and take control from him. 
But all the while, what does he miss? He misses the heavenly king who came to earth to die for him. So this is the backdrop. This is the sort of the setting into which these wise men who are coming from the east enter in, bearing gifts. Who were these wise men? What were they like, right? So they're coming from east. Some folks think they're coming from Persia, from Babylon. Most likely they were very astute, well-read, knowledgeable men, scientists, some combination of a scientist, philosopher, astronomer, super combination, all rolled into one. Yet the, yet, yet the wise men, despite their elite sort of background, right? They were, they were the cream of the crop. But despite their elite background, they recognized Jesus for who he is and brought these gifts to honor him. So let's, let's dig into these gifts a little bit and, and talk about them. So the three gifts... They bring a kingly gift, they bring a priestly gift, and they bring a prophetic gift. So first, the kingly gift, they bring gold. When you look into the scriptures, gold has this sort of connection to power, this connection to royalty. It was a gift fit for a king. We've ta- mentioned Solomon briefly. We head back to Solomon. Solomon had a lot of it had a lot of gold. The kings of Egypt, right, wore it. They sat on it. And when you go into and look at even in the Old Testament into the tabernacle and the temple and the items that were in the tabernacle that were part of the worship, filled with gold. Many of the items in the tabernacle of the Old Testament were either solid or plated gold got the golden candlestick. It represented the, the presence and the light of the Lord. The golden altar. The Ark of the Covenant had both gold and wood. Right? Gold for the perfect God and wood for the perfect man, if you will. So the gold sort of tells us about the divine nature of Christ. The wise men were recognizing royalty. They didn't see a crown on his head, but when they looked up above him, what did they see? A sign in the, si- in the sky, right? A star. They had no doubt studied God's word. We know that the people of Israel were um, sent off into captivity into Babylon, right? So they would be familiar with God's word, and apparently they studied God's word and found this promise of God that a child would be born, and they understood something of this idea of Emmanuel, that God is with us. That this child was not just a mere man, that he was a God-man, divine royalty. So this gold they bring, it speaks of the glory of Christ, but not just his glory. The gold also speaks of his grace. His grace. First, his forgiving grace. So if you were to look at an exact replica of the Ark of the Covenant, you would see that on the top of it, 
there would be placed two cherubim, right, these angelic creatures, and it would ultimately create what would be called the, this golden seat, the mercy seat. You can see that in Exodus chapter 25. So gold clearly tells us that Jesus is royalty, that he is a king, but he is God. But it also tells that grace comes from him. See, this mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant was a place where the high priest would sprinkle blood of the spotless lamb for the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, There was a pastor of the early 1900s, Donald Barnhouse. He was actually a pastor down at 10th Presbyterian in in Philly. In speaking about grace, he put it this way, and I think it's appropriate here. He says, love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes upward is worship. Love that goes outward is affection. And love that stoops down, love that stoops down is grace. God stooped down to forgive us. He you know, seemingly bends over backwards in the form of a child, a baby that would come and become a man. And he would bend upon that cross. And what would he say? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. So this gold, right, it's, it's, it's the gift of the wise men that also recognizes grace, forgiving grace, but it also recognizes an interceding grace. In Exodus chapter 30, you hear the golden altar of incense. Again, you see where gold kind of links into the tabernacle worship. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us of Jesus that he is the only mediator, the only go-between between man and God. So if not for the grace of Jesus, we would not be able to experience the presence of God, the glory of God. So Jesus, as the high priest, what does he do? He opens the door to God's throne of grace for us. So again, they bring this gift of gold, but it It speaks of grace, right? His interceding grace, his forgiving grace, but also a living grace. You could say that grace is the desire and ability to do the will of God. So Jesus would give us the want and the way to do God's will. You can think of this type of grace, living grace, as, you know, so we talked about forgiving grace, right? Interceding grace. This, this living grace, you can think about it as grace for the race, right? We're all, we're all in the middle of it, right? When you look into the story, you see that 
God gave living grace to the wise men when he does what? When he warns them about Herod. When you look in chapter 2, verse 12 of Matthew, they were divinely warned that, hey, don't go back there. Don't go back to Herod on your way back. I don't know about you, but I can look back in my own life. And there are many times where I could have been more wise and accepted the living grace of God. That grace for everyday life that we live. So again, this gift of the wise men, this gold, it recognized this living grace that God gives us. So that's the gold. The next gift was a priestly gift. So that was the kingly gift. The next gift is a priestly gift, the frankincense. So again, all these gifts speak to who Jesus is. So Jesus is not just some priest. He's the Holy One of God. He is anointed with the Spirit of God to call people from what? From darkness into light. I would say that's necessary in the day and age we live in, wouldn't you? There are a lot of folks in the dark, in the dark, sort of just meandering, wandering through life with this notion that, you know, we're born, bless you, we're born, we pay taxes, and we die, right? There's some folks that just, that's, that's it. But we are born by the will of God in order to accept God so that we might serve God to the praise of God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. When you think about priests in, in this time, they were spiritual and social guides for the people of Israel. You can think of the priests of that time as, in a way, the conscience of the people, the conscience of the nation. But in Christ, what do we have? God has entered into history really his story, to do what? To guide us spiritually. He comes as a priest to guide us. What kind of priest is he? Well, he's, he's the, the high priest, the high priest of high priests, but what kind of high priest is he? He's a sympathetic high priest. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says what? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Again, if we go back to the high priests of Jesus' time, and I think we've seen this as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, 
Would you say that the priests of Jesus' time were sympathetic priests? The high priests in Jesus' time had no care for the people. They cozied up to Rome as much as they could for all the power that they could get. So the people of that day would, would look, up, look at, the, at the high priest and look at the priest and say, no, no one cares for us. No one understands. But thanks be to God, we don't have to say that. We don't have to say that. Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He lived and was tempted by every aggravation, frustration, and temptation, yet did not sin. So he not only knows, but he also cares. He gives his life that we might know what real life actually is. So that's our high priest. So the wise men, bring, they bring this gift of frankincense. It recognizes Jesus as this sympathetic high priest. But he's not just a sympathetic high priest. He's a perpetual high priest. In Hebrews 5, 6, speaking of Jesus, it says that you are a priest forever. You are a priest forever. Life changes, changes quickly, right? We all have to recognize that, right? No matter what stage of life you are in right now, um, you're going to look back and think, man, how did I get here? How did I get here, right? No matter, no matter where you are, right? I could, I could talk to the, pull the Sunday school kids and talk to the 10-year-old and they'll go, man, fifth grade, how did I get here? Just yesterday, it's like, Kindergarten. So no matter where you are, I think you, we, we all can, can sympathize with that sort of feeling. That, and life is just full of change. It's changing. It feels like it's changing rapidly. I was listening to a podcast the other day talking about these um, autonomous ve vehicles that are just proliferating, right? There are, there are services in, in um, I think it was in, in Phoenix and in... San Francisco, where they've got fleets of autonomous vehicles that you can just pull up the app, boom, boom, boom. They come, they pick you up, they take you where you're going to go. They were talking about a time when the weird thing will be driving yourself somewhere. Right? Where you go and tell somebody, yeah, guess what I did yesterday? I drove a car. Like, what? Really? Think of the change. Life, it's constantly changing, right? You start with hair, and it's gray, or maybe it's gone, right? Depending. So in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of that, how comforting, how reassuring is it to know that we have a constant anchor that 
Jesus, he is our perpetual high priest. He never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He will always anchor us to God. In the midst of a life that makes us feel like God forgets, that makes us feel like some dreams are forever dead, Jesus still intercedes to God on our behalf. So the wise men, they bring this gift, the frankincense. It recognizes Jesus as our perpetual high priest. And then the final gift, a prophetic gift, myrrh. What does this tell us about who Jesus is? We got to know what myrrh is, right? I don't know if you picked up myrrh at the grocery store recently. It is, by definition, a aromatic gum resin. So the way you get it is by, there's a particular tree that you go to. You go to, and you actually gash the tree. And the resin comes out, and you let the resin dry, and it dries into these sort of teardrop sort of shapes. And it's hard to think of that image of that sort of gashing, right, and not thinking of the wounds of Christ, right? We, we, we begin here with him as a child, but we know where the momentum and the gravity of the story is going. It is going to the cross. It's also myrrh used to anoint the bodies of the deceased to reduce composition, the decomposition and smell. So in normal Jewish practices, you would have used about one pound of myrrh. If you look into John chapter 19, 29, Nicodemus brought something like 100 pounds of myrrh for the burial of Jesus. So this gift, right, of myrrh, it's prophetic, right? It's looking forward and tells us that Jesus would be the man of sorrows. That idea of Jesus as man of sorrows comes from uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, which speaks about the Messiah, and that he would be a suffering servant. So this myrrh, tells us that Jesus would be the man of sorrows. He became the man of sorrows so that his people could become what? The people of what? Joy. As we think about joy this morning, that's only possible because Jesus becomes the man of sorrows. He suffered the greatest sorrow ever known. What do we know upon his death? The sky goes black. The earth, it shakes. Jesus on the cross in, in physical pain and agony. And yet, and yet, all of that is not the worst. He looks to the heavens and what does he cry? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the pain and the torture and the sorrow of one who was abandoned by God. And because of that, we as Christians have the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. Never. And when you look throughout the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament, you see that this joy that we have, it, it is only rooted in what Christ has done. Because Jesus goes through this sorrow and despair because of God's love. So the wise men, this gift of myrrh, it recognizes Jesus as someone who would what? Suffer and die. But it also recognizes him. So it recognizes him as the man of sorrow, but it also recognizes him as the man of salvation. Because we know Jesus walks into the depths of death and despair. But what do we also know? That he doesn't stay there. He doesn't stay there. Three days in the grave, and on the third, by the power of God, he rises. So he becomes the man of sorrow so that, what, his name would be above every other name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the man of salvation. He triumphed over the grave. And when you think about that triumph, you look into your own life. He will triumph over the grave situations in your life. Jesus knows the depths of despair, pain, loss, heartache, frustration. He experiences all of it for our salvation. So this gift, this final prophetic gift of myrrh, recognizes Jesus not only as the man of sorrow, but as the man of salvation. And as we come to close this morning. We've seen that these gifts show how the wise men recognize who Jesus is. And we've also talked about that this tradition of gift giving that we have during the season comes from these gifts that the wise men bring for Jesus. And we spent all this time, we spent all this time talking about those gifts and what they mean. But here's a question for you. Are they even really the most important gifts that the wise men bring? Are the gifts that we talked about even really the most important gifts that they bring. If you look at verse 11, what does it say? Matthew 2:11 says, "And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they 
fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. See, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh were an extension of who the wise men were, but those gifts were not the wise men themselves. The more important gift was their worship as they fell down. Why? Because they give themselves. And that is really one of the secrets that are hidden and embedded in this Christmas narrative. See, the real gift of Christmas is given by God himself. But when God gives, does he give merely an extension of himself? In our greatest time of need, in our deepest desperation, in our unequivocal lostness, giving anything less than himself would not do. So no, in Christ, what does God give? God gives himself. So now, what are we to do? How are we to give? In light of what God has given to us, can we give him anything less than ourselves? Would God accept just an extension of ourselves? Sure, give him your children. But he wants you. Sure, give him your resources. But he wants you. Sure, give him your service. But he wants you. Anything less than yourself will not do. I can't help but think back to Kinsley in that little gift box costume. Here's the hidden gift of Christmas. Christmas is God gives himself to you in Christ so you give yourself to God through Christ. So what's the hidden gift of Christmas? It's you. It's you. You give yourself to God. You give yourself to others. Now, here's how it works. As you give yourself to, to God, guess what he does? He makes you more like Christ. So then as you give yourselves to others, you wind up giving them who? Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How humbling is it? How humbling is it that God would bring Christ 
to the world through little packages. Little packages like me, right? Little packages like you. You are the hidden gift of Christmas. Give God your worship. Give God your heart. And give God yourself. Amen. Let's take a moment to worship and respond to God together.